What's up everybody, Josh here. Just wanted to let you know that Brush Creek Monsters has been updating their site weekly with new Doe on Fire Estrus. Myself, Chris, Rick, and the rest of our team have been using Doe on Fire Estrus since late October with great success. So head on over to the website at brushcreekmonstersllc.com and get you a bottle of Doe on Fire. Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used the 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads, and my god, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. Buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't believe. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert. And tonight we have for his second time on the podcast as our special guest, Mr. Cameron Free. So why don't you do me a favor? Let me let me grab, let me get mine. All right. On the count of three, I just want you to just hold up what you what what date did you take yours on? October 31st. Wow, Halloween buck. And then literally oh, yeah. four days later. Go ahead and show that thing off. Pull him. There you go. Short arm him. Short arm and he makes it look mm -hmm. bigger this time, huh? Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> Man. So what did what did your score? Uh, unofficially, I've had two different, two guys, different guys measure them. One guy came out with 181 and a half and the other guy came out with 182 and three eighths. Okay. So a hundred and 181, 182, right, right there. Okay. Um, wow. And then mine's yeah. 172. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He was a 174 mainframe 10, typical 10. Wow, so without his trash and everything, basically. Uh, he, that's yeah. a beech tree shredding mofo. Oh, I yeah. Think he's got some junk on the basis. Yeah, absolutely. So wanted to talk with you a little bit tonight about uh, a couple different subjects. Uh, to start off, um, tell everybody the name of your company, what got you to start that, 
um, if they couldn't figure out that you don't own Shrewd and that it's your hat. But uh, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about your company and let's talk about some mobile hunting a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I got into mobile hunting about three years ago and uh, basically really liked it and enjoyed it. But since I'm a bigger guy, I uh, designed my own one stick platform and that's how the whole thing started. Uh, I started me and a partner. We both started talking and everything like that and uh, it escalated into, it took us about oh, six months of redesigning and prototypes and everything like that. And then uh, at the Mobile Hunter Expo is basically when we started Tree Huggers Outdoors and launched our first platform and uh, sold a few of them here and there. And then next thing you know, we've been kind of growing ever since and uh, got a website and everything like that and selling saddles now eight canyon saddles and selling ropes and selling the whole shebang so really moved into the mobile hunting industry it's a group major growing industry right now i mean it's crazy the amount of people that are switching and hunting and uh with the success stories that i've heard and and i've had personally i mean it was it's kind of a no-brainer i don't even mess around with hang on tree stands anymore yeah or climbing tree stands yeah i i bounced around a lot in a climber for Damn near two decades, and uh, oh, yeah. I I got into the to the hang on thing, and I I still like my hang ons. Killed my buck out of a hang on, but man, the saddle is yes really tough to beat. Like if you can get the only time that it can be rough, and again, it all comes down to like perspective and what what you can carry and everything, right? So like when I'm I'm a big one sticker myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if I need to um, face a certain way and, you know, the trees lean in the way that you don't oh, want, yeah. well, then I'm screwed. But that's where you can, you know, one stick up and then use a platform um, or a stand, which is actually what I did. Only I can't say that I technically one sticked, one stuck, one sticked up the tree. <laughs> I put my one stick on the tree and then stood on it and hung yeah. my stand at eight feet when I killed my buck. Everybody believes you got to get super high, 15, 20 foot. And opening day yeah. this year, I did the same exact thing. One stick high, got up along the tree and had a doe 12 yards from me. I height and never even paid attention. I just stayed close to the tree and she walked right around me. Never, you know, she looked up at me one time and never had a clue what I was or anything like that and walked right in front of me for a dead broadside shot. And we're talking a very mature doe. Yeah. It, it blows my mind how many mature deer walk super close. Oh, yes. I'll be anywhere from 7 to 16 feet, oftentimes mm-hmm. with no cover. And they'll look at me and just, you know, you can kind of see it on their face. They're like, the hell is that? And then they just yeah. continue on living their life. Yeah. And, and And some of these, well, not some, the majority of them for me, or on public land because I basically only hunt public unless I'm going to go shoot does on a private farm or something. So yeah. um, it it cracks me up because I think people give deer's eyes too much credit. And oh, absolutely. Their depth perception is trash. And so to me, a guy like you or myself, we just look like a, like a big ass broken off part of the tree mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I think when you have a stand, they've seen that and that's shot at them and meh at them and everything oh, yeah. else. And um, I think it looks more unnatural. Now, again, 
I'm not beating up on stands. I love stands. I killed my buck out of the B stand. I sat in the elevate stand. I run all yeah. kinds of stands and they're great. But man, the, the saddle thing, I, I don't think people give it its due as much as they should. Yeah. My theory is, is what I tell everybody is you're no longer a 90 degree ledge making a perfect 90 degree off the tree. Yes. And I think the shape stands out to them more than they see V's all the time in the woods every single day. They always yes. see a split V. And, you know, do I think that a mature deer knows, hey, that V wasn't there yesterday? Yes. But I think that's where you get the, they stare at you and then you don't move and they go about their life because they don't know when tree limbs <laughs> fall, just fall, trees fall off, anything like that. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. And it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, at first I was like, oh, okay. And then after like the fifth time I was like, mm -hmm. okay, there's something to this. I can't ignore yeah. it anymore. And people look at you like you're stupid, but I'm finding more and more people that agree with me and they're not even, I'm not even bringing it up. You brought this up to me yeah. and yeah. I'm like, Oh, finally. Yes. So there's, I mean, there's many advantages to both. Like I tell everybody, you're not probably going to sit all day in a saddle. I know there's people that do it, but it's not as, as comfortable as a tree stand. I'll tell them that every single time. Um, and, but it's very effective. I mean, I was, I've, I've started saddle hunting three years ago and I wasn't even thinking about hanging by a rope in a tree for a long time. And uh, I kind of got to talking to you and a couple other people and I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And uh, my first year I shot a 150 and he literally was at the base of my tree and I like, I didn't have no aiders, nothing. I just put four sticks on a tree and a platform. And there's no doubt in my mind that that deer would have saw me the way he was coming out that tree if I would have been in a tree stand. Cause that was the first thing that came to my mind. The way he was walking in was I just got busted hardcore. His eyes are going to be pointing right at me. I got to draw while he's walking through me, everything. That deer had no clue in the world. And he was literally by the straight line. He was probably within 12 feet of me easily. Peace. Yeah. So that okay. was first year. Last year I had a lot of struggles with deer just, Every deer I had on cameraman got shot and it was a nightmare. I had probably five shooters at different properties and every single one just got shot and I just got fed up and I shot a management buck uh, just because of the fact I didn't want him spraying genetics. It was getting later in the season. So I took him out of the herd, got him out of the herd so he didn't spread his genetics. And then, yeah, started fresh this year and here we are and with a deer that I never in a million years would have ever thought I'd ever stand a chance at did you so let's go over the story a little bit so you did you just get pictures that day of that deer yeah i had no clue this deer was anywhere on the property it was a brand new property i'd had a camera out from probably two days before the season started i got permission for this property late and uh, i literally scouted it hung a camera and I mean, I had some decent bucks and there was nothing spectacular. And I always tell everybody the deer that, that I usually get on camera in velvet. And this is just my experience is I won't see that deer usually when it comes deer season, nine times out of 10. I mean, I may catch him during the rut, but as far as early season, once he loses his velvet, he's usually gone. Yeah. And I know that they hammer the acorns in the, the woods and all that stuff, but I put cameras near some bedding areas and some heavy traffic areas. And I've gotten pictures of deer 
uh, in velvet and never saw them on the hoof to the guy down the road kicked him out during shotgun season. Yeah. I mean, it's There's definitely it's a big shift once they oh, – yeah. that velvet, uh, you know, you got so much going on in the woods yeah. and can be really frustrating as a private land, especially ag land. You're up there in the boxwoods yeah. country. Oh, yeah. So that that yeah. makes it tough. I wish wow. I wish I could try some public, but there's just no public around. Yeah, anywhere around us or anything. And there, the public lots that are here, if there's a truck park there, it's limited to one person because the lots are so small that you weren't allowed like to hunt it. It's first come, first serve. You have such little public where you're at, dude. It's yeah, it's getting hammered by everybody in you know Indiana and all the locals and yep. Michigan, and that's the first stop. So yeah, uh, I I get that completely um which you're not far from my buddy aaron and we were just he was who was at my house before we started a podcast and that was what we were talking about like his public land it's there's hardly any of it and it's just getting pounded yeah it's tough to get on deer and stay on them i've i've heard of people going into the um there's Kildeer Plains here, and I don't mind mentioning yeah. names on that because everybody knows about Kildeer Plains around here. It's because it's yeah. the biggest public land. And I've heard of guys going in on shotgun opening morning or the spare weekend, whatever it may be. And they said that they couldn't walk more than 200 yards without seeing another orange blob. And oh, yeah. They're like, man, I'm telling you, they're like, it's dangerous, like extremely dangerous especially during youth season, not knowing what the kids are doing, how much knowledge they have or anything like that. Yeah. It can be pretty, pretty rough. We, we've done some, some small uh, tracks. I mean, I don't know how big the one is that we did, but like we did your gun drives and stuff and we ran into some people. There was one instance where I got a little scared, but yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not saying seeing hunters is a bad thing and they have just as much right to be there as you do, but there's a point where it becomes dangerous. Sure. And I mean, when you're in that much grass, that much cover, you just never know the deer jumps up in front of you and the guy shoots at it and couldn't even see you. I mean, yep. you it's actually what happened. Yeah. I had a guy about a hundred yards away and a little buck came barreling through the woods and yep. cut right in between us. And I saw him draw his gun and I just screamed and took off running. And then, yep like legitimately and uh he didn't shoot thank god but i like i'm in blaze orange unmistakable yeah and i'm 100 yards he's standing in the middle of a field and i'm on the edge of the woods in the field it it's unfortunate you hear about it every year during gun week somebody gets shot accidentally and it's i I don't say i would i expect it but i just it's gonna happen somewhere an accident's gonna happen that was even if it wasn't somebody's fault, it can still happen. And I mean, they yep. may have been completely, well, I had no idea you were there. The bullet ricocheted, whatever it may be. Freak things happened. And oh, yeah. I mean, anybody's out of question, fault, direct fault. And I just, yeah, don't want to be involved in that risk whatsoever as long as I don't have to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree. So no. I'm going to have to have you come out my way and do maybe like a doe hunt on public or something and just yeah. go go play never, around on public land. Never been tagged out this early before completely, and yeah, I got the itch. Let me tell you. I, oh, yeah. Wanna <laughs> October see 31st, fly. yeah. <laughs> Want to see one of those fly. Um, 
what uh, what arrow setup you rocking for uh, your bow when you when you shot that buck? So I'm shooting a gold tip uh, platinum Pierce, uh, 250 spined, uh, with a outsert system and a Grim Reaper three blade two inch whitetail special. Uh, on the back, I run a reflective wrap. The I don't know if you ever seen those. They're like almost I call them little stop signs. Mm-hmm. You know, light hits them, they reflect to you just like a stop sign would. And then I run uh, a four four flex two point seven five tack vein with three degree offset, and uh, yeah, and then a just a basic knock. I don't run Luminox or anything like that. Same this year. I yeah. I gave up. I gave up the lighted knocks. I don't believe that they're consistent. I exactly. That. I, I, I kind of have a theory on that. Um, Let's hear it. And this is just my opinion. Is the button, if it has different tension on the inside yes. of the knock, literally, it's going res- to cause resistance. So, yep. I, I, I kind of, I played around with it inside 30 yards. I'm okay with it, but once I got out to like 50, 60 yards, it seemed like my groups weren't as good and the knocks just weren't as tight. Yep. And yep. that, any, if you think about it, and you're pushing against something all the time with a spring, it's either going to wear out or it's going to be harder in consistency from one to the other. And just so our listeners can understand, if they didn't hear our last podcast, which if you haven't, go check it out. Um, I'll try to have Rick link that episode in the notes or something. But um, can you tell us a little bit about your archery background as far as where you're at right now? Yeah. So last year, um, after the podcast, this last year, uh, we kind of stayed in the ASA and kept evolving kept running the four fletch, kept learning different stuff from different people. Like I said, don't be scared to ask people. Uh, kept, I mean, even to this day, I still watch podcasts on, on how to set up bows and what these different professionals do. And I'm not talking people that are just like your average hunter. I'm talking people that are winning consistently. I listen to everything that they do on podcasts and everything they do. I pick and choose between about three or four different people that usually are pretty popular in the podcast. And, uh, kind of start building a bow from there. This last target bow I took, I actually took eight hours on a Saturday of just tinkering with it, just little things here and there. And uh, it actually was pretty simple. Uh, Paige Pierce is the one that did a video and said she actually backs her top limb, bottom limb off one turn from the top. And then she actually advances her top cam to hit first. And I never really thought about it, but if you think about it, it was always, you know, your limbs are supposed to be the same. And her, her philosophy behind it is it doesn't matter. The philosophy is if you're pulling harder to the top, if you have a trial problem dipping, which a lot of guys, that's what they do is they want to keep dipping the bow out or dropping out. If you're pulling harder into the top limb, it's actually going to keep the bow up longer. Okay. So I set a bow up for that and uh, did the ASA thing. Struggled on a couple shoots, and then the last couple shoots I got to rolling. And uh, in the semi-pro known class, uh, the the classic, I actually took second place uh, behind a good friend, Christian Clark. So uh, got on the right roll, hoping it rolls over into this season, hoping to shoot myself pro this year, but we'll see what it goes. It can change from year to year. Will be pretty badass, dude. So yeah. Just so everybody is aware, we're not just talking to some slouch who's tossing stuff around. He, uh, this guy has helped me out and helped me build my confidence tremendously when I was going through an extremely tough mental state with archery. I was about ready to give it up and just shoot a damn crossbow. It was that bad. 
and we had god i don't know how long we talked on the phone that day but i'm thinking yeah. we talked for somewhere around two two and a half hours about arrows and you know setting up for a hunting setup and um i was already a big fan of the four fletch but um i had not clocked my arrows before and we did that oh my god like and i now i i do it to this day and it really it's almost one of those things where you don't have to anymore mm -hmm. like you know yeah but yeah just you know have knowledge and understand to do something and why you do it and mm -hmm. know that things are going the way they should be that's that's what you need so um yeah. the biggest thing without going down that road is every arrow needs to shoot a bullet hole and shoot every everyone needs to shoot a bullet hole there can't be inconsistencies yep. that's what he means by clocking an arrow if, if you have one you can literally walk it from an inch right tear to an inch left tear to a low tear to a high tear whatever it may be and i guarantee you that one of the turns that's why i run a four fletch because when you change your cock vein, I guarantee you sooner or later, you're going to shoot a bullet hole and you're going to shoot a bullet hole every single time. Kind of yep. back to the days where you find the spine, except this, you aren't worrying about the spine before you fletch it. You're not putting the vein on the spine. That was the philosophy back in the day. Now you're actually tuning the arrow to the bow, each individual arrow. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, just like old Timmy G said, you mm -hmm. know, I don't have a number one and a number two nope. arrow. I got a quiver full of number one arrows. I've yeah, got a, absolutely. Got Twelve number ones, and you talk about a confidence boost. So absolutely, uh, it's, it's you know, and I think we probably both agree that the majority, you know, archery. In my opinion, I don't feel like archery is so much a skill, like something that somebody naturally has. So yeah. much like, like being an athlete, right? Is as much as just knowledge and and like the mental aspect mm -hmm. of it. The knowledge yeah. improves confidence, and then, then you start screwing around with something, and you're like, "Ooh, ooh oh god!" The, the the biggest thing, like you said, the confidence of knowing that every arrow is shooting a bullet hole. There's just something about knowing your bow is shooting a perfect bullet hole every time, because yep. then your your mind game is, "Well, I know it's not the bow. It's not the bow. Do your job. Yeah, do your yeah. job. Yep. Execute. And then if you're, you know." I tell everybody this too that I'm learning. You know, I don't practice. I may shoot at 25 yards every now and then, but in my backyard, I'm shooting 50, 60 yards consistently. I don't want to say every day, but I go out and do cold shots about every evening, at least one cold shot at 50, 60 yards. And if you <laughs> did that, you'd be amazed at what would happen at 25 yards because when that yeah. deer walks in at 32 yards now, you're like, this is a chip shot. That's a massive target. Yep. I agree. So, I do. Uh, I do 40s a lot in the yard. Yeah, 40s a good number. Yeah, and I can get whatever you whatever you feel comfortable with, and you can shoot consistently. And it doesn't even have to be consistently. Shoot good enough to feel that it was going to improve you. I don't want you going backwards. I don't want you missing targets like crazy and everything. If that number's 40 yards, shoot 40 yards. Yeah. If you feel like you could hit a deer at 40 yards consistently, then you should be practicing to 50 or 60. Yep. And then move out. I. Here lately, I have been pretty much capping myself at 40 just because I know that my shots are going to come yeah. in super close. But normally, like during the summer, especially if I've got a Western yeah. trip lined up, I'm shooting out to 60 every day. And then sometimes I'll stand across the road and drop yeah. 70 
bombs, but it's tough to, it's tough to get much more distance than that, but yeah, uh, it's, it's super fun. Like you said, you know, you figure out real quick what's going on exactly when you, when you stretch it out. And then when you fix it at that range, like you said, 20, 30 yards, 10 yards, yeah, like Drano dude. And I've told everybody always to practice the shot straight down. Know how your bow shoots straight down because everybody shoots this 20 yards thinking every deer is going to come in 20 yards broadside. And me and you have had this talk before when we talked on the phone. I don't care what hunting channel. The hunting channel shows every time these deer walk in slow, stand broadside, give you a nice video <laughs> and everything. The big ones don't do that. They don't do that the shit on realistic, regular no. land. You may the first opportunity that you get and you're confident in, you better be launching an arrow. Yep. Whether it's you know a straight on shot like you had to take, whether it's I shot a quarter and two. That's not an ideal shot, but I'm not gonna let that deer make the decision for me and then have regrets about it because yep. I wanted to wait on the perfect, you know, quarter and away or dead broadside shot. The big ones just don't do it. I, it I swear come. they have I swear they have a sixth sense of knowing when they're washed, especially the big ones. It's so weird because I would bet almost all of my big deer were quartering to mm -hmm. straight on shots. I yeah. mean, it's, and, and, and if they weren't, it was like a broadside shot where I'm caught off guard and rushed. Oh, absolutely, and it's, absolutely. It's never like, well, I'll just like work in nice and easy. I want you to have plenty of time. No, 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 prepared. no. You, you never get to watch them. <laughs> you never get to watch him and be like, oh, that's going to be my shooting lane right there. And it's never in a shooting lane that you cut either, ever. Yeah. Um, no, not at all. Uh, it, it's just, I agree 100% with my deer. I knew, like, if you get an opportunity, it was, you know, I felt. It's now or never. Yeah, <laughs> like, I felt confident that I could get, you know, an opportunity, but. I've been confident a lot and it not happened. So, and then I've been yeah. confident and it happened and I didn't seize that opportunity. And I can't tell you how many target deer that I've had that, you know, I, for whatever reason, I, I didn't get a shot off and I saw it that one time. And then I never saw that deer again Absolutely. in my life. Yeah. He, he got hit by a car, killed by coyotes, disease, another hunter, you name it. I never oh, yeah. seen him again in my life and I wasn't willing to risk that. And I actually, um, I, I think I said this in my breakdown, but um, I actually drew on my buck before I even knew it was my buck because yeah. I was in such thick cover. I was like, if he comes in here, he's going to be super close and no way in hell am I getting picked off right. without being at full draw. And what do you know? As soon as he got inside, what do you do? Looked right up at me. Yeah. And then he took an arrow. <laughs> so I'll kind of get into this when you, I, I assume you want to do the, you know, the breakdown of how everything went down and everything like that. But it was kind of the same concept for me. I was in a three-way split tree. And when this deer came in, he was behind the tree for me, but my bow's sticking out and I know he can see it. So now I'm like, do I draw right now? Do I wait? Well, I waited till I could see his head to make sure he wasn't looking my way. Started a draw. Well, at that time he had already been, he was in my shooting lane. I, I had bapped him and stopped him before I even got to anchor. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he was on the move, man. He was ready to roll. And he was not going to stick around. And I'll get into that story a little bit of why I hit him in the liver and everything like that was kind of had to play with it. But I mean, gee, many Christmas, they just, they don't come in nice and slow, like on the outdoor channel. They don't, 
Yeah. You, know, you aren't seeing them in the prairies like in Kansas. So most of these deer are shot in Kansas and Iowa on the outdoor field edges. And, yeah. 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 That's, that's not realistic for the common man. And that, that's, no. it's fine that these people go to outfit oh, yeah. all that, go do your thing, but uh, we're hunting pressured deer that are hunted absolutely all over the place. So, Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used the 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of Saddies loads, and my God, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. Yeah, go ahead and kind of get into your story, actually. So yeah, so here on October 31st. October 31st, I was at work and uh, I tell everybody that they can, you know, I use cell cams and I tell them it's it's the best tool to your advantage that you could ever imagine. And I, I tell everybody, I was like, I, if they didn't make so much money off of them, I couldn't believe that they're even legal because you have to credit them cell cams for so many deer that are taken in the state of like anywhere now. I anywhere. Mean, you just look around. There is massive deer being shot now that these cellular cams have came out in the last four or five years. Back when it was really expensive, it wasn't so much. But now that the price of them have came down and they're affordable for the average Joe, I'm telling you, 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 I, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I'm going to take a random guess that 40% of the deer that are shot, people probably got on mineral sites and full velvet and never saw them to the rut. And they would have never known they were there if it weren't for cell cameras or well, even just cameras in general at that point, but cell cameras, you just don't have to go in and disturb and everything like that. And you're just scouting multiple, you're basically hunting the spot without being there. I mean, that's what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, pretty much. I think so. I, I will say, so like in your situation, very fortunate. I, I think yeah. if you took, hundred big deer yep. and you put them in a place in daylight and put them on a cell camera. I don't think, I don't think half of those deer even get shot by the person that right. has the cell camera. Like I exactly. think that I, you still have to go in. You still got to you right. know where to set up. You got to kill him, you know, all that, but they are huge because you don't have to go in and pressure an area. Right. And then, you know, for a guy like you or myself, mm. you have a family. Uh, how Absolutely. many kids? Two. Just one. Just one. All right. Yep. You got a dick right now. So, um, <laughs> with with having a family, you know, you, you kind of run out of time, and now you're trying to grow a business. I'm doing the same. Yep. I got three kids, and I'm doing the public thing, so I can put uh. a cell camera up and not have to go pull the card all the time and all that. And you pressure it, and you use all your time up doing that, and so. Um, the cameras that I do run that are non-cellular, though, 
are are really just as uh yep. you know instrumental and i just check them when i scout when i'm in there hunting scouting etc yes. that's that's when i'll check them and the biggest thing i tell everybody i just had this uh talk with a good friend of mine the other day run your cameras all year long yes Don't run them on mineral because them deer when they're in velvet you will get a picture of a deer on mineral in velvet if there is a deer in the area he is going to come to that mineral sooner or later you will know what's there come november yep. whether he's in the area still or not at least you know hey this property has a, a, a buck that's somewhere they're called the ghost for the reason they don't appear once they drop the velvet i mean it's just the way it is but at least you know hey i got two three shooters here one of them's gonna be here come november follow a doe back through here or they'll be back come january don't yeah. be scared to don't be scared to settle because I'm telling you right now it's a whole nother deal. But January hunting, I almost think it's just as good as the rut, if not better, if you can find a food source. If you have the food source, oh man, in a spot that hasn't been pressured, isn't getting yep. pressured, it is probably now the the flip side, very tough to access. There's no yes. leaves anywhere. <laughs> Everything's loud. Yeah, yeah. But you got to remember too, when you when you talk pressure, there's probably a lot of hunters that don't go out when it's single digit temperatures and there's Agreed. a foot of snow on the ground. And so you, there you lose some pressure. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Actually, is it's funny because you're about two and a half or three hours, two and a half hours from me, and yeah. the difference in weather that you get yeah. versus what I get is yeah. insane. You might as well be in Michigan. Um, yeah. Like you get snow, you get cold wind, yeah. the whole nine here. We're in the Ohio Valley. Yeah. And dude, it it stays significantly warmer. Um, talking to you, talking to Luke, talking to my buddy Zach Kaiser up, you know, past yeah. Luke. Like y'all get actual winter and here we really don't. But yeah, I think it helps grow the deer a little better down That's this absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean you got to remember too, you, you snow can hurt you just as much as it can help you, especially if you're in a pressured spot. I mean, you leave footprints when you're in snow. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you, you aren't going to hide where you're at. If somebody wants to know the general area where you're at or where the deer are that. moving. Yeah. Yep. Deer are moving is a big thing because if you get a fresh coat of snow and you get a pounded trail and you find it, that's where you're going to set up. I mean, that's just yeah. the way it is. I mean, it, it gives you a snow gives you a big advantage in scouting the all year. That you I mean, it's crazy. And yeah. last year we didn't get much snow, but I mean, if you go another 30 minutes North of me, you're talking like, it's a big difference just as, I mean, you're, you're night and day for me. And like, I'm like from eight o'clock to midnight, once you get 30 miles North of me, I mean, it's, wow. you get a major lake effect snow yeah up there you get a crosswind from lake michigan to lake erie everything like that and then you yep. go another hour north and it's like you said i can leave with no snow on the ground and leave here and within an hour have eight inches of snow on the ground if i drive directly north i used to deal with that all the time uh my freshman yeah. year i lived in michigan and we moved to grand rapids and lake effect snow constant yeah, i oh, mean yeah. it's like it snowed every damn day dude it was crazy oh yeah and and what's funny is being a public land guy and getting into the bed hunting if we could just get some good snow each winter 
I would literally just track bucks back to their bed and mark everything. And then I bet just, you'd be amazed at how far you could see them too. That would be a huge, I bet you could see them in your bed from 400, 500 yards away. Easily. You could see them from a good ways away though, though where I'm hunting, keep in mind, it's a little different where you can't. Yeah. Really you got far. some Hills. Um, yeah, you got terrain in your way, but I mean, just to be able to track it, track him to his bed and find, yeah. find his bed. That's all I would need. Cause I can mm -hmm. come back there next late season or you know if if i'm fortunate enough that he's been there early season which i don't think that's how it would play out but you just never know um depending on what your wins are and everything but yeah really really cool to be able to track deer in the snow um so you got pictures of the deer yep so i'm at work my phone goes off 9 52 in the morning and it's a deer going straight away from the camera and it's like my his butt is like in my lens but i could see half the rack a couple times i was like that book looks pretty nice so a couple minutes go by and he gets in the frame he's probably 40 50 yards away from the camera and i'm like wow he's got like probably 12 inch g2s and probably if not taller and 12 inch g2s g3s probably the same pretty close i was like that's a big deer and the guys were like i showed a couple of buddies and i sent it to a couple of buddies and they're like that deer is probably 160 inch deer and i'm like no i think that deer is bigger than that you got to remember trail cameras have wide angle lenses mm -hmm. everything looks smaller in a trail camera i agree but where he was headed was a good thing because I knew it was the bedding area of that area. There's a lot of down trees and everything. And it's kind of a peninsula on this woods that they bed in that peninsula and they work at North and South. And I was on a bump out East and West. So the, the peninsula, literally these deer were bedding in probably a peninsula that was max a hundred yards wide. So they could see anything that was coming in that, that woods. And it was just the way, God intended, I guess, and the bedding area literally had down trees almost in a circle. So they could get in the center of them trees and have their backs completely covered up, put their nose into the wind, whatever way they wanted to, and watch the other way. And they were set. You, there was no way you were getting into their bedding area that close. So 952 rolls around. I get a picture of that deer, and I'm just, I'm, I'm like... I'm a, I really don't get worked up over deer pictures that much anymore because I've seen so many big deer on camera that I've never seen from the tree stand. I'm just right. like, that's a good deer, you know. It's cool to get pictures of them. It is what it yeah. is. And I thought to They'll myself. probably never walk in front of me. No, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, <laughs> man, I'm supposed to be off work the next three days. It's 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'm going to go hunt that deer tonight. And I was going to go there anyway because I'd been waiting on a good west wind to hunt that area anyway. and. I got, I took off work at noon. I went in and took some vacation time and left work at noon. I usually don't shower before I go to the woods. I usually just play the wind and leave from work and go. But oh, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little extra time and I'm going to go home and take a shower and do this as good as I can to do scent control. Cause this deer, this deer is probably one that I'll never have another opportunity at. So I was got home showered. I, Worked my way. I left my house at one o'clock and I arrived around one thirty ish. And I just took my time walking back the field as slow and as quiet as I possibly could. 
and stayed in cover as long as I could. And I bumped a doe, and I, I was like, as soon as I seen the white tail, I'm like, oh, please, God. And I pulled up my binoculars, and I was like, oh, that's just a doe. There's only one tail. It might be a young doe. So I worked my way into the tree, got to the base of my tree, got the one stick out, strapped it up, climbed up the tree, got in position. It was like 152. So it was pretty chilly on Halloween. I don't know if you remember Halloween. We at least around here, we had some pretty pretty strong wind, and we were, we had our first snow flurries falling that evening. So it was a it was a it was like the perfect storm. It was the cold front, the deer. It was Halloween. Yep, everything a deer hunter could dream of, pretty much yeah. besides wind. And uh, so I got set in there 145, and I'm telling you right now, by 245, I underestimated the wind a lot because I was starting to get cold. And I'm like, cold oh. as heck. Yeah, and I'm like, I almost just threw another jacket in my backpack, but I thought, no, I'll be fine. I'm on the east side of the woods, west wind. I won't feel any of the wind. I'll be completely fine. Well, boy, was I wrong because I was feeling the wind. <laughs> on the within about two hours to the point where I debated about rappelling down and going back to the truck to grab my jacket. And I thought, no, you're going to die on this sword. If you have to, you're going to be cold for the next four hours, five hours, whatever. Oh my God. So a couple hours goes by I rattled <laughs> once. I didn't want to, you know, make a bunch of noise. Cause I knew, I, I knew that if I rattled, Usually I don't like blind rattling and I don't like blind grunting because it gives the deer an idea of where you're at and they'll circle down when sometimes you won't even get a chance at a hundred yards downwind. So I did light rattle. I debated about it really hard, but I did and nothing responded. And I did that. I said, I'm going to do it one time. I'm going to do it in the middle of the day. See if he comes running, see if any other bucks come running. There was two other okay deer, but I'm like, man, do I shoot them deer now? If they come in, you know, I right. tell everybody I'm like, your blessings as you can get them because i think there's a statistic out there that 50 percent of hunters in their lifetime don't shoot a buck over 125 inches and i, I heard would, that on another podcast yeah that was the hunter i would strongly disagree with that i i know very few people that haven't killed a 125 but yeah i i, I get what you're coming at though like it's not like people get to kill deer like that all right. the time and my general rule of thumb is any 140 inch deer is getting an arrow, whether I know there's another big one in the area or not. 140 inches is usually my cutoff. If I think he goes 140 inches, he's getting the arrow. Yep. And another general rule of thumb is if you hesitate at all, then usually you need to not let the arrow fly. So, wow, yeah. So if, if you, you have to ask, then the yeah. answer is no. If you say, is he a shooter after you glassed him if he's long, far away, or if he's on the way in on a hurry, and you say, is that a shooter, you probably shouldn't be shooting the arrow. Now, I'm not saying some other people might not be grateful for that deer. That may be the case, and shoot what makes you happy. If you're yep. happy with a year and a half old deer, shoot a year and a half old deer. But when you get to the point where you're, I don't want to use the word picky, but picky or after mature deer, whatever it may be, trying to build the area, whatever you want to call it. If you hesitate at all, you probably shouldn't send the arrow and draw yep. back on that. So anyway, it's 2.45 in the afternoon, and I let out a rattle, let out one grunt. Nothing happens whatsoever, and I'm seeing squirrels all over the place, and I'm getting colder, and I'm getting bored real quick. <clears throat> I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, why did you come out here so early? But at the same time, I've also seen in my lifetime, I've been late 
three times where the point where I'm walking back to the stand and then a shooter buck comes out chasing a doe or whatever it may be. So I, I did not want that to happen. Yeah. So evening starts going on and I literally was doing the typical board hunter thing, looking on Facebook on my phone at three o'clock. And I thought you an idiot, you need to be paying attention. Your phone's not even going to last all night long. If something happens or yada, yada, yada. That guy in your head sounds a lot of, like the guy in my head. <laughs> Absolutely. Like the last thing I need to do is be caught red-handed with the phone in my hand that I got to put away in my pocket, still grab my bow and get in position, whatever I got to do. This deer's 20 yards from me. There's no way I'm going to get all this done in time by the time he's chasing the doe or whatever it may be. So the inner self on me said, put your phone away, you idiot, and start paying attention. You're not a little kid. So literally, as I said that, 30 minutes later, on the edge of this peninsula, I see this rack on the dead, I don't want to say dead run, but I'm talking a heavy jog. And there are seven scrapes within this bump out within about 200 yards of one another. And one of them was probably six foot around and like no leaves in it, whatever it may be, just tore up ground. The branches above it were like three, four branches, and they were probably six to seven foot high. So I knew he probably had been in that area. Like you said, don't trust your trail cameras. Just because my camera wasn't getting a picture, I knew there had to be a bent deer there because yep. trail cameras are a good tool, but at the same time, they don't tell you everything that's happening in the area at mm -hmm. all. They, they and, say there's a deer here at some point. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I see him. It is. And I didn't even know this at that time, but, you know, all this is escalating real fast. And I mean, I see him 100 yards out, but he closed the gap to within 450 yards of me to hit that scrape within probably 12 seconds. I mean, he was just jogging through the woods, came up there. And I'm telling you what, it is the one time that I wish I would have had a camera because I have never heard a deer hit a scrape and make the noises and the grunts and the wheezes that this deer had made. And he must have been 50 yards from me at that time. And he sounded like a cow moaning and grunting that was standing at the base of my tree. I mean, literally, I thought he was snorting at me at first. And I'm like, there's no way this deer busted me. Like, there's no way. The wind's blowing in my favor. I'm in a perfect, the, the, the hunter's dream, a split bee tree. And he literally worked that scrape for like under 10 seconds, pissed in it, looked like a cow. I mean, looking right at me towards my way, pissed in this thing and just looked like a cow as his muscles flared out. He pissed in this scrape and he was there for 10 seconds and then he was on the jog working right down the edge of the woods right to me. So like I said, once he got behind that split V, I had a decision to make. I didn't know whether he was standing there. I didn't know whether he was looking my way. I had no, I couldn't see him and I didn't want to move because I didn't want to expose myself at the same time. So just as his head popped out, I came to full draw. And I mean, he closed that 60 yard gap in probably under five seconds. I mean, he was on that move. And when I gave him that, I was just settling my face behind the peep and he stopped and stared right into the woods. I mean, he stopped on a dead, dead jog, like a statue and when I started to squeeze, he stepped forward because he was already, I mean, he was wanting to go. I mean, I bet you this all happened. He stopped for maybe a second, if that. And I mean, it happened fast. And as soon as I seen the arrow and the arrow launch, I said, shit. 
when the arrow was in mid-flight because I knew at that point it was back just a little bit. But I'm telling you what, the two-inch, I don't get sponsored by Grim Reaper. I shoot any broadhead. I'll tell anybody to shoot any broadhead. They all work. That two-inch Grim Reaper entered center punched his liver and came out right in front of his back leg, and there must have been a blade long ways down. And when he compressed when that arrow hit him, all of his guts shot out and started dragging the ground. Are you shooting the whitetail specials? Yep, with the mu- the yeah. old school muzzy chisel tip. Yep, yeah. blue clean through them. Yeah, dude, that's a yeah. nasty, nasty yeah. head. So he, as soon as he was hit, he turned around on a dime, and I'm talking like he dug into the ground. He didn't drop his belly. He just dug in the ground, and there was like a four-foot circle of just bare leaves where he kicked. He ran out in the field and stood there dead broadside at 51 yards. And he actually stood there, and I'm like, is he going to fall over? Did I actually catch a long? Like, what, what is the deal? But I'm, I'm thinking this in my head, and this is all happening. you got to think. This, this is all with – this all happened within 40 to 45 seconds, probably tops. That's crazy. Him. And he gave me the time. I ranged him. It was 50 and a half yards. The snow was coming down. And I said, you need to give yourself more. Your arrow is going to be getting hit by snow in the flight, just like raindrops. Gravity is going to be working against you. So I dialed my sight to 51 yards. And I, I really wanted to dial to 51 and a half. And I thought, if you shoot over his back, you're really going to hate yourself. So he's still standing there. And this, this is all like 30 seconds. He hasn't moved. He's standing there like a statue. He doesn't know what's hitting him. He's not looking around. He's just standing there. You can tell he's hit, hit somewhat good. But when you have a deer of this caliber, I'm like, I'm shooting arrows until he's down or I can't anymore. So I draw back. Took, talked myself into probably the best absolute shot I could for the wind conditions. I mean, there was one time his, my pin was on his head, and I just squeezed real slow, executed. You know that, like, the target was sitting still at an archery range or whatever. You had all the time in the world. You need to make this shot count is what I yep. told myself. And when the arrow went off, it, it was a complete surprise shot, just like I talked myself into. Uh, and I seen the arrow and I heard pop, but I thought I hit him. I thought I missed him low. And I thought you idiot, if you'd have just given yourself the extra half yard, you'd have put it right in the boiler room. He was quartering away. This would be over. When I shot, he only ran 15 more yards into the edge of the woods and he stood there for 45 minutes. And I was like, just fall over. Like this could all be over. Just fall over. And (laughs) oh no, they always got to make it dramatic. So I'm literally. 45 minutes and this deer's just standing there and i'm like he's hurting bad i know that i now did i hit nothing but guts i'm thinking to myself there's no way i hit nothing but guts and this deer's doing this still so i think i might have caught long i probably hit liver came out i mean as gory as it sounds it's kind of the good thing his guts are dragging the ground as he's going away slowing him down, whatever it may be. They may snag up on thorns, get yanked out some more, whatever it may be. And uh, so I watched him walk off extremely slow, finally, after 45 minutes. And I uh, made a phone call, talked to a total buddy. I was like, hey, I just shot a good one. I'm like, not even going to track it. Like, not a chance I'm going to track it right now. I hit it back. I don't know if I hit nothing but guts, but I'm like, Playing on tomorrow morning, like right now. This is four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, I'm not pushing this deer. No way. So, stupid myself, I'm like, get down, 
rappel down nice and quiet it was kind of wet the leaves were so i mean everything was kind of my it, like i said it was the perfect storm i mean everything was wet i got in there quiet get down check my arrow not a bit of guts on it whatsoever and it's bright red blood right where i shot him and where when i went over walked over to where i shot him because i wanted to try and find that arrow um there was just a nice pool of blood probably a little bit bigger than a softball of just dark red blood and the whole way you could just walk and find blood so i was like okay i don't think this is blood from guts because one it's just dark red there's no chunks in it or anything like that i think i probably hit his liver and it did look like it had some bubbles in it but i was like i'm not pushing him so i took one step inside the woods just to see what the blood trail was and i look up and I'm like, I know the embedded trees are there. I took about two steps, glassed, and I could see his rack sticking up in the back of him over the log. And I immediately got down on all fours, backed out, walked out. And this is four, so at this time, it's five o'clock. I mean, this is before the time change, so we got two hours of light left. I backed out, went to the truck, got everything packed away, just left. I went back at midnight fully expecting to see this deer dead right in that bed. Tracked below. Uh, when I went back, I kind of was like, is that actually, you know, everything's different at dark. You you think, oh, I can get out of here real easy. Well, every tree looks the same and every down tree looks the same at dark. So you're like, is that really him? So I was able to track dark red blood. I mean, no problem at all. We're talking looks like a long shot. And I'm like, well, hey. Maybe I caught one long center punch to liver. He's probably dead by now. So we tracked him for probably 100 yards, found his bed. I went a little further, easy tracking. And once I got near a creek, I said, this is it. Like, I'm done. I'm getting daylight. If I have to, I'm going to get a dog. This deer this deer is worth the money to put money behind it. I'm getting out of here. It's midnight. Let's get out of here. I'll come back in the morning, see what's going on. So it's one through one one thirty in the morning when we're walking out of the woods, getting the truck, you know, kind of sick to my stomach. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm like 95% sure this deer, I'm going to find this deer tomorrow morning. This deer's got way too much blood pouring out. And I just feel that this deer is dead and I just need daylight before I push him anymore. Sure. So, yeah. So. Everybody's like, oh, you probably, you know, probably didn't sleep at all that night. I'm like, no, I was like, I was hunting pretty hard them days. I had worked already that day. All this had happened. I'm getting home at 1.30 in the morning. I'm like, I showered. And I mean, I laid down and fell asleep like it was nothing. But I woke up before my alarm because I was excited. You know, it was yep. just like this morning. Your body automatically never lets you go into that complete deep sleep. And I woke up and I'm like, let's go. You know, it's still dark out, but. I'm going to start getting everything around, get the kid around so I can go look for this deer. So I waited till eight o'clock and I'm not sure if you remember, but November 1st was an extremely calm, frosty morning. And I paid, went back to the exact spot. I found the blood and he was in some tall grass along the creek. And I'm fully expecting to see this deer laying right on the edge of the creek thinking, okay, he's got guts hanging out. He's probably going to get hot. He's going to crawl down in that water to cool off. He's probably going to be dead right up along this bank. I just didn't want to walk in there at night in this high grass that's probably four foot tall and not see him. So I pick up last blood and the blood trail is still 
there he is, there he is, there he is, there he is, and the puddles are getting bigger. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, he's filling up. Well, the puddles getting bigger was me walking another 10 steps and seeing the ass of this deer sticking out of the grass. And I swear, if somebody would have been there with me at that time, I think I'd have tackled him and threw him right in the creek because I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know, this is the biggest deer <laughs> of my life. And I literally had to take 10 more steps last night, and this deer was dead. And, I mean, he was deader than dead. He had dead. He had he had died falling over. He was stiff as a board. The guts that were hanging out were cold. I mean, he was dead that night before. No, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. But like I said in my Facebook post, when in doubt, you always back out. I mean, gut yep. shot for 15 hours minimum. Yep. Yeah. Gut shot deer, liver shot deer, high lung, one lung. But well, lung shot, you know, one lung, then you really you need to run them. But you gotta generally you gotta have a dog. One long is a nightmare. I'm telling you. Oh yeah. One long, and I would have lost. I would have lost a deer if it were on one long. If it weren't for snow, I mean. Yeah, yeah. You got to be able to track them and keep up with them. Yep. And basically, it's like, it's like a you know a, a hit where you're just trying to get them to bleed. And if they lay down, and clot up, the problem. I yep. mean, they can still die, but they they prolong it and they're not bleeding as much. They could bleed internally, and then you lose the track, and that's generally how you lose the deer. And that's really what happened with my buddy's deer, my deer. Yep. Like, you get that brachial artery hit, you got to push him, make him bleed, tire him out. And a lot of times it's a finish him again situation. But, but you got to do your due diligence and, and really knowing – how to treat each track individually is very important. So, so I say this because deer can live on one lung still. They don't always. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, don't be, you may, I mean, there's, there's been guys I've talked to. They're like, I put the arrow exactly where I wanted it. And the one guy, they found the deer skin and bones in February. Somebody else had shot him and his one lung was literally the size of a fist. And he just literally caught one lung on the opposite side, came in high, went out dead mid-body, zipped that one lung, and that buck survived three, four months. I mean, he shot it early season, and they found it in February. And Man. that was the deer he shot. And so, you know, I, I tell this to somebody, it's because, like you said, the more you know when tracking deer and, you know, just like this deer, I – I probably called, and I really didn't want to, but I probably showed that blood picture. To, I'm banking at that time probably 20 people. Yeah. And I said, what do you think about this? This is what he did. And pretty much majority of people were like, go back, find him in his bed at midnight, like right where you saw him. Right. I'm like, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I said, do you, you know, basically it was like you and uh, Rick were talking. You know, you're bouncing ideas off these people thinking – Okay, if majority of people tell me I shouldn't go in till tomorrow morning, I'm not going in until tomorrow morning. But if, you know, majority of people tell me from what they've seen over the years and, you know, you start getting all this data together with your friends over the years and they've seen this stuff and everything like that, they were like, yeah, I'll go in at midnight. Well, they were all shocked that he wasn't laying there as much as I was when I walked in there at midnight. I fully expected to be laying there dead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm going to say – 90% of them were right. Like that they knew what they were doing and 90% of them called it liver shot, maybe caught one long. I didn't catch a long, but I center punched the liver and 
the one guy even said, uh, you know, I never even thought about it. Like I said, you cut that liner at the bottom of that belly and they contract and you think you hit guts, but it just blew the guts out because there was a hole. And when that deer yep. compressed, when he got hit, he blew him out on his own. And that's exactly what happened. The guts were not even cut whatsoever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's so, good. Oh, it was <laughs> yeah. way better gutting job than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. You're not looking forward to those generally. No. Damn, dude. So, that's crazy. For uh yeah. for like a four or five hour hunt or whatever, like that's that's pretty yeah. good story. I mean, that's pretty yeah. cool. Nice little quickie hunting of or well, shoot, Halloween. I mean, that's really cool, man. I'm pumped that you uh were able to secure that deer and you really you know, I commend you for for treating the track job like you should, because I mean, knowing knowing that that deer is that big. It's real yeah. tough not to go look for him. And, and to be honest with you, I I didn't know exactly how big he was because, like I said, this all happened within 45 seconds, the whole thing. I mean, this happened yeah. fast. So I knew he was big, but I didn't know how big he was. I was expecting right. mid-160s. And even after I shot him, I was thinking 165 to 170. And I was just like, you know, when they were put – my buddy was putting the tape on him and – he came out before he even counted his trash and was like, I'm at 174. I'm like, keep going. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. Make that 180 mark. <laughs> like, awesome. I never would have dreamed about it. Ever. That is, that is pretty sweet. Hey, you're in an area that has good deer, man. You, you yeah. consistently show me pics of really good deer, and you've killed some good ones up there. So no reason that they can't get that big. And you might kill a two hundo at some point. You never yeah, know what I mean, could happen. I mean, I'm going to be honest, and you probably feel the same way. I was blessed to shoot this deer, and it may be a lifetime deer. And if I beat it one time in my lifetime, that's going to be amazing. Like, that's just yep. the way it is. Like you said, the good, the next one, I'm going to be just as pumped to shoot a 150 next year, 140 hey, next year. Yeah. Yeah. One third, a 135 typical eight point. That is a big eight point. Like, yes. I will be yeah. tickled deaf if I shoot a 135 eight point. Like, and, What's funny is with this deer, it's my new number one deer by like, yep. I think between a quarter and a half inch. And that's oh, yeah. it. My, my previous number one was 171 and change. And this one, I think is 171 and like maybe three eighths. And yeah. this one's 172 even. So five eighths of an inch. I mean, just crazy, but 140 inch eight a freaking 150 inch tent like yeah i'll shoot him and i'll smile just as big exactly. you, know, this is just a, you know we just got you know blessed by god that we got deer yeah. that develop better and at the end of the day if you can go kill mature bucks especially with a bow you're doing pretty damn good yeah i mean there's luck involved nobody can say it's all skill there's there's partially luck involved i mean oh sure you told me that you told me the turn of events that made you move to where you moved and you shared some of them you didn't go as far as into detail but you know would you have been where you were that night if the periodic events would have unfolded that morning right probably not like no you were in the right place right time there's partially luck you can do your due diligence you know what is in the area, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, there's some luck involved. You can prep all you want yep. and you just got to be in the right time, right place. And you know, that's the way it is. It's, there's no, 
you know, well, I, I'm the best hunter in the world. Nobody's the best hunter in the world. You got to literally yeah. just be in the right place at the right time. Location yep. helps tremendously. That's 90, probably 90% of it, in my opinion, to find big deer. Yep. I think that you've got to put yourself in position um, and be able, you know, it's shots on goal or big and yep. be able to capitalize and execute. But at the end of the day, I will say luck is involved, but I do believe that luck is simply when preparation meets opportunity. True. So um, I, I will say, though, that like you said, you know, if shit doesn't get, you know, sideways in the morning and everything, then, you know, I'm probably sitting in that same spot all day. But instead, yep. I got down, I moved, and then, boom, deer of a lifetime. People are wanting to, like, interview me and shit over it and everything. And I'm like, I'm the guy that interviews you. Like, I'm interviewing yeah. people. People want to talk to me about my deer. So it's pretty cool. But, um, dude, pumped for you, man. That's a hell of yeah. a deer. Yeah, um, I mean, do you, uh, you got some social media worked up yet? You've got Tree Hugger Outdoors Facebook. Yep, Tree Hugger uh, Outdoors Facebook and uh, Insta. That's really it. And then, no, I don't have Insta. I, okay. I, I've tried getting old of Insta, but uh, it's, a, it's a work in progress. I mean, my wife does social media for a living, so I should have an Insta, but you should, yeah, at the same time, <laughs> you know, it's just I should, but. Yeah, I mean, things are escalating good and everything like that. So, you know, I, I work full time. So work both of us work full time. We, like you said, have families and stuff like that. So I can't be working another 40 hours outside doing this kind of stuff. It's just kind of a thing I designed. And I don't want to say it's a hobby, but at the same time, it's, you know, just something I designed that I thought was a good idea and kind of escalated from there. And if people want to like the idea at the same time then here it is yep yep well i tell you what man i'm i'm really grateful for your time and uh telling yeah. your story about your buck yeah, uh I... and then for those that are interested in finding cameron he's cameron freed f-r-e-e-d correct yep you can find him on facebook just send him a friend request or something if you want to talk arrows need any advice with anything archery want to want to get a hold of him and get a a uh, a one stick off of him or something or you you said you are a dealer for Ape Canyon? Yes, yeah, we got hooked up with Ape Canyon. Uh pretty much a pretty budget friendly saddle if you want to get into beginning. Yeah. I and mean, you're talking you're talking of saddle for $180, $190 bucks that is probably just as good comfortable as the high end saddles. Sure. And you know, they're starting out and if you have like a kid or somebody that's getting into saddle hunting or you have interest in saddle hunting and you don't want to spend a lot of money. Um, they're a great budget friendly saddle. So is that what you're running? I am going to be running the, see this all happened after I shot my deer. So I shot this deer out of a TX five, um, off of my okay. one stick, but, um, they came out with the only downfall that I didn't like about the Abe Canyons. And I voiced my, that's what I loved about this company was I voiced my opinion, honestly to them that um, for the money, you can't beat it. But the way the buckle system was, I didn't like the buckle system. So they're actually, I don't know if you keep up with their social media, they're actually coming out with a Skyfall cryptic edition that has all of nice. the Cobra belt buckle, all the Cobra buckles now. And, okay. you know, it's 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 basically going to be a high-end saddle for that $260 range, which is still a pretty good price for if you start comparing them to everything else. And you're going to get, 
all the benefits of a higher end saddle and everything like that. Yeah. So, so I will be run. I will be running the Skyfall edition next year, um, as long as it's just as comfortable as the original Pioneer, which yeah. basically all they changed was the buckles and the camo, so it should. But I will be running that. But I mean, there's many. I'm not gonna sell you on my to say my stick's the best. I'm not gonna sell you my saddle's the best. You need to find what fits you completely and what works best for you. Um, some people, you know, some people like figure eights for repelling. I use a Madrock safeguard. Next guy, I like a Opflex tether. The next guy might like 11 millimeter tether. I mean, yep. there's so many different ways that you can do this mobile hunting, saddle hunting, one sticking, one sticking with a platform. Either it's impossible. I mean, it, it's so crazy the way you can make this design and hunting fit the way you want to hunt and the easiest way for you. It's ridiculous. Amen to that, dude. You gonna you gonna come get a booth at the expo? One of the expos? I'm definitely gonna try. I'm definitely gonna try and make it the Lancaster. Lancaster. You've you've shot at Spooky Nook, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah Actually, I'm getting I'm going there in January again too. So yeah, that's yeah. where the, is that where you're you're doing it at the Spooky Nook? Yes, that's where the PA show is. That is a I, massive building. Yep. Massive building. <laughs> we got her, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That um, is that is a major building, and it is a amazing building. The facility there is absolutely crazy. I really, um, really want to get Lancaster Archery involved and maybe even eventually talk to them about maybe getting some form of a shoot going or something. Just something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, they would definitely be up for it. They're more, they're very active in the community and everything like that. So yeah. I think if you uh, get involved with it, I think that'd be no issue. I mean, they're literally like 15 minutes down the road. Yep. And if, and while you're in Lancaster, if you're going to the mobile hunter expo, do yourself a favor and take your time and go to Lancaster archery. Because it's badass. It is the biggest archery shop I have ever personally been into. And it has three different ranges, indoor ranges, and upstairs and downstairs. Anything that you could possibly think of, if you want to try something, buy something, anything. And I have no affiliation with Lancaster Archery whatsoever. I'm just telling you right now, it is something worth going and seeing because it's an archery shop that you could never imagine, especially if you are at your local archery shop and that's all you've ever gone to is local archery shops. Yep. It is crazy. Freaking love it, dude. Yeah. I guess we've been at this for about an hour, roughly. So why don't we go ahead and uh, wrap it up again? I, I appreciate you coming on and look forward to talking again soon. Maybe, maybe we can uh, go slap a couple coyotes in the face here in a moment. I would so. love to. Yep. But and it was absolutely. I'm just glad that we could uh, do this podcast, and I'm mainly glad for the reasons we could do it. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. I said, we we were both extremely blessed this year. It was just crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, so. Are you coming to gun camp? I'm definitely going to try. No okay. promises, but I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. Definitely, maybe. Copy that. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> maybe. I would like okay. to. All righty, man. Well, uh, I appreciate you, brother. This has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Chris Lepper, and tonight we were joined by semi-professional archer in the ASA known class, Cameron Freed. Cam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a good day.